Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Forever Classic Podcast, the show seeking enlightenment through video games, films, and other geek culture. This week, I have with me the writer extraordinaire, Alex McCumbers. So this episode, we're going to talk about some gaming news around the world, some games releasing this month, some cool anime to check out, some current games being played, and then we're going to tie in to an E3 pre-show. Because E3 is coming up soon. We're actually filming this uh, three hours before the first press event. A lot of people are already on the show floor. Yes, and hopefully this will be pumped out, cut, and released soon enough that you can be listening to this and relating it to what's going on through E3. It'll be fun, I think, because we're going to have a lot of predictions and stuff, too, at the very end. Oh, yeah. There's a lot of a lot of base to touch with the E3 coming up. Everything's really exciting, and more and more as we get closer and closer. Biggest news opportunity in games, oh. unfortunately, for better or worse. <laughs> yeah. I was, I was just reading about some of the history about it this morning, and uh, I think it was 95, where the PlayStation was released in... Marked as two ninety nine, and I think that was a hundred dollars under the Sega Genesis. Or yeah, yeah, it was um, it was way cheaper than a lot of systems. And uh, there's a lot of interesting E three based history. One of my favorite stories is um, whenever Metal Gear Solid two was announced, it wasn't at the show, right? Right. But the trailer launched during the show period, right? So. Literally, it stole the show. Like, everybody kept watching the Metal Gear Solid 2 uh, trailer and not giving a shit about what was going on actually at E3. I'm hoping... It's a monumental franchise. And I, that's one of the things I'm hoping about is some, some news from Hideo for E3. But we'll get to that um, later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just as a quick recap, uh, we have the things we left off with last episode that we wanted to point back out were... Uh, like the Angry Birds, Film Gross Profit, the Destiny, like, budget? Uh, specifically for Destiny, I've got a list of the most expensive video games to develop, which is, of course, it's Wikipedia, and video game data is not really uh, kept very well. I actually talked to a guy at PAX who uh, specializes in video game-related data. Like, if you want to know anything about data, that's the guy to talk to. He was in the extra credit panel. Um, I'm not sure of his name off the top of my head. But according to this list... Uh, we all kind of know Destiny to be one of the most expensive games ever made. For the longest time, it was rumored to have a budget of $500 million. And I always thought that number was extremely high, especially for the, the game we got. I mean, it has its fan base, and I kind of like playing it every now and again. But is that really a $500 million game? I don't really think so. And back in, I think, 2014-2015, there was an interview with a different member of Bungie who said, No, 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 we had nowhere near that. According to this list, it it was about $140 million budget at the time. Factoring in inflation, it rounds out to about 142 Now, to put that in perspective, Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2, whenever it was made, had a budget of 250 And that's including development and marketing. And uh, with inflation, that's the top-rated, most expensive game to make at $279 million. So according to this list, we haven't really gotten to the half-a-billion-dollar range yet. Which I find interesting, because I figured we'd be there. Well, I mean, with everything coming up, we have the new CGI stuff, which you would expect to be more expensive, but now that, you know, skill sets have improved to this point in the workforce, it's almost seeming like all this cost that was high is now dropping and making the more fancy, more expensive things more easy to attain and cheaper. 
that's a good point because a lot of the software like uh, Unity and Unreal is ridiculously powerful, and you can use it for free in a lot of ways. Now, how much was this Angry Birds film? According to uh, IMDb, is seventy three million. Seventy three million cost to make it, or that it made budget. Budget. So, including marketing and development and paying the actors and such, that's roughly what it would be. So, just to put that into perspective, in the gaming world. 73, I said? Yeah, 73. Final Fantasy 13, including inflation. Like, it was $65 million at the time to make in 2009. Uh, with inflation in today's standards, that's $73 million. This proves that you can spend $73 million and still make shit. I thought Final Fantasy 13 was one of the worst games, period. Not only in the franchise, but just... All together, that game's horrible. Oh, I did not like 13. I have friends who raved about it, but they don't like the old style Final Fantasies at all either. Right, right. So I'm finding I'm finding a lot yeah. of a line between the old style turn base to the new style 13 plus. Right. Um, it's kind of funny because Square must have known they kind of fucked up because they had all these like ridiculously expensive, very high quality assets. And they're like, man, this didn't make nearly as much money. Uh, we'll make another one. <laughs> so they made uh, 13.2 and 13.3, Lightning Returns, which I hear Lightning Returns isn't a terrible game, but it's nowhere near what we should have gotten. All right. Because I was super hyped for that game. I bought it day one. Really? Yeah, um, I spent like $80 on it. <laughs> oof. I've, I've avoided some of them because I noticed lots of pitfalls happening around things I was really anticipating. Yeah. So I ended up watching a lot of people play like Final Fantasies, a uh, couple other big name games in between here and there, and they just weren't the things that tickled my fancy after I got to watch them. So I right, ended right. up avoiding lots of stuff. With my favorite franchises, I have a tendency to get whatever the newest thing is. So like uh, Fire Emblem, I always get the newest one. Final Fantasy, I always get the newest one, for better or worse. It's really spurred me or spurned me here recently. But 15 I thought was good, and I waited 10 years for it. Like I really had a good time with it. The ending sucked, but whatever. I still haven't got to play it, but I've seen lots of stuff on it, and it looks really fun. Especially all the cooking memes. All the cooking yeah. memes got me, like, <laughs> cracking up. I've got a new recipe! <laughs> I love Ignis. Like, that game, <laughs> it proves that the Final Fantasy uh, franchise and the developers are really getting in touch with character development. Because those characters are all, like, really well-written, and they have some really powerful moments, and I just love all four of our beautiful boys doing beautiful things in a beautiful world yeah and i can't remember the uh the blonde one prompto yeah the uh was watching the anime man uh prompto has a sad ass backstory too like going yeah, into like, it he was like chubby and then ran his guts out to uh make himself even like worth talking to uh noctis yeah and, and even that- in the game like he has moments like i shouldn't be here like I'm not as cool as you guys. I'm not a part of this uh, society. And they're like, no, 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 no. You're you're more part of this than anybody else. <laughs> and see, that's that's human relation, and it's awesome. Like those. Yeah, things, they do like, some really like it's not just story from a fantasy perspective. It's a very human story. Yeah, and that's that's something that'll pull and anchor me into anything. Like if you can give me a reason to feel what that person's feeling or an inkling of it, like. I can step into those shoes and understand them, and then I'm hooked. Yeah, that's it. Like I'm, I'm in that world, and it is part of my world. That, that's the reason I like really well written anime and such too, because I'm, I'm very easy to uh, suspend disbelief. Like 
I'm the type of person I'm really critical about games, but I'm not as critical on like shows and movies, so I can get pulled in really easily. Same. Uh, I can get pulled into stuff pretty easy. Uh, being on the back end of filming and theater and stuff, I can be really critical of stuff if I see yeah, something I done excessively be. poorly. But mm-hmm. if it's done with a poorer way than it could have been, and it has a reason for it, like if everything resolves out the way it should, then yeah, awesome. Like that's great, and I'm not gonna think that it was just some piss poor something. It's gonna be like, okay, you know, they did this thing, but it worked perfect, and that's exactly what that person would have done. Um, so now that we've uh, kind of touched base on some of the numbers and stuff we missed last time, uh, we are gonna try to do a bit more recording as much as we can. Uh, I know one of the the most irritating things for me is when you're really into a podcast and like. Oh, okay. It's gonna come out Mondays, and then Monday comes around. And you're like, "Where's the podcast?" Like, we're we're gonna get to a point where we can start having a schedule, and once that schedule is set in stone, I think we're gonna have a, a lot more fun, and it'll feel a little like we're still learning as we go. Yeah, you know, we don't have a set runtime. Still, we don't have a set day that we release. I think we would have released a little sooner, but like for me, my car had problems, so I had to stop mm-hmm. and take care of that beyond everything else that delayed yeah, Zach us. is doing all of our uh, our production and releasing and such I'm just here to provide the the information and to discuss things because <laughs> I'm doing all my like journalism and working and trying to move so I haven't even touched any sort of audio editing right and we have you know we come together with two different type of skill sets they overlap a little bit but like you are with your journalism You've been in the gaming world, indie dev, game dev world for a very long time. So you have connections, people you know. You have early access to some knowledge that you can sometimes share and sometimes you can't. Like a lot you, of times, too, I've actually talked to the people behind some of these games. And those conversations I kind of pull from every now and again. Yeah, and that's that's fantastic. For me, Like I come from, I have my hands in a lot of different things. So I have just a lot of random viewpoints and I can discuss things with people who either love or hate this kind of stuff for both comparison, contrasting, like, thoughts on all these subjects. So as we move forward, we'll uh, we'll be growing not only as, uh, as podcast developers, but as people, too. Like, we're going to be slowly getting better over time. But let's hear some gaming news, Zach. Uh, so check it out. ARMS on Switch, right? Yes. It's cool. <laughs> it, it is. <laughs> I was... I was kind of surprised because um, they, they've been doing the, the global test punch. They did it last weekend and the weekend before. And so you could jump in and essentially play like a party match, which was not all of the characters, but most of them. And it was just battles and like uh, free for all battles and volleyball mini games. And it was just kind of a party mode that like matched you up into random things constantly. I didn't know they and had volleyball. And my biggest yeah, yeah, it's like they set up a volleyball and then you, you you basically play volleyball with the arms mechanics. But the biggest downfall to this test was it was only an hour long. Like, you had to log in when that hour started, and that was the time frame you got to play. Once that hour was over with, it kicked you out. Oh, wow. Which is a very Nintendo thing to do. <laughs> but I gotta say, arms works surprisingly well, both in portable and television mode. And, like, motion controls work for some reason? Like... They don't feel perfect, but they work really well because when you punch holding the Joy-Cons, if you turn, it, like, changes the angle of your fist, right? And the, it feels natural. Um, the only thing that's weird when holding the Joy-Cons and doing motion control is switching targets. 
because I would get into some fights and not be able to switch targets fast enough, and that would be the cause of my uh, downfall. Uh, luckily, this game actually works kind of like Smash Brothers. It has a lot of different control schemes. I, I did a piece on it on Marooner's Rock that details out each control like uh, map, but you can use a pro controller. You can use a single Joy-Con like horizontally, so you can play two-player on a single portable unit with a friend, or you oh. can play it on the TV or whatever. Um, you can hook it up to the grip controller. You can use uh, the uh, Bluetooth controllers that Metal Jesus just showed off, um, made by 8-Bit Doe, I believe. They uh, they recently did a patch, and there's a couple different ways that you can get it working on the Switch. So I imagine that'll be playable with ARMS as well. Hmm, and you know what? It's 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 fun. Yeah, no, I mean, it, I thought it looked a little cartoony at first, or a little silly, and then I got to watch some of the gaming, like, some of them play. Like, I think it was the... The girl with noodle arms and the... Yeah, Min Min. Not, yeah, Min Min and... I don't know. I keep thinking the guys, like, their take on Little Mac. And I can't remember what his name was either. Oh, he's the main character. He's like Spring Man or Spring that, Boy that's or something. It. Spring Man. Yeah, I got to watch their fight and, like, the different customizable arms. Like, it's like, um... Metabots. Yeah. It, it is very Metabots-like. It, it reminds me of Metabots, the punching game. Yeah. Dude, I used to love Metabots. <laughs> me, me <laughs> like, too. you would get the little toys and you would, like, switch the, the parts and stuff. Like, there was an RPG on GBA I used to be really into. Yeah, the anime is uh, what got me to it when I was younger. Like, cartoon anime. Yeah, I used to watch the cartoon. Yeah. It, oh, God, I haven't thought about that in years. <laughs> right? And uh, for me, like, so, as a side note to everybody, if you don't know what Metabots is, it was an old, uh, old anime, old 90s cartoon about kids with these, like, fighting robots. And what happened is they could challenge other people or they could buy these parts. But if you challenge somebody, you could basically bet a part of your robot against theirs. And if you won, they were able to claim that part and upgrade their own robot with it or just use yeah, it as so something it like to switch this, out. Um, it was like this uh, this fighting ladder battle style anime. I mean, it was uh, it didn't really have a whole lot of character development. And it's it's a very basic like, oh, you're my rival. I need to beat you kind of show like. But it was fun. I, I really like the art style and the setup. Yeah. The concept of just having your customizable robot through battle is what got me watching. Which it. was explored later in other works. Um, Custom Robo on the GameCube. That that was a game that Nintendo, I really wish they would bring back. It was basically uh, high-quality Metabots. And <laughs> then there's um, the Gunpla anime, which is basically a Gundam-based model thing where they do the same thing. So there's been a lot of that style anime. Beyblade was the same way. Yeah, and I think uh, I think a lot of that originated from way back with Mega Man for me. You know, as Mega Man beat the bosses, he got part of their power to his gun, and that's, yeah. that was a development that kept tying back into more stuff that I treasured as a child. Now, do you think this um, kind of resurgence back when Metabots was popular was kind of based on the whole BattleBots craze? Oh yeah, I mean BattleBots is still just like this known cult name to things like you can talk about battle bots to some people and they're extremely excited and they'll ramble on some will just give you a quick mention of it's like, like robotic wrestling like it's crazy yeah. no. a lot of them had what, <laughs> like, like saw blades and shit. <laughs> like i used to watch it with my dad and they would uh have this giant t-rex looking robot yeah and it had a giant claw and a flamethrower I don't remember what they called it, but whenever that thing come out, like, shit got real. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's... that show was hype as hell. Like, I watched a clip from a recent match, and it was crazy. Like, the robots have gotten faster. <laughs> really? I haven't seen anything recent. I just, I thought it died out. And I think it was a fairly popular show in Japan, too. I think they had their own thing going for that. 
So that might have been why we got that style of anime and game development, and it kind of seeped into pop culture. Influencing it. Yeah, ARMS, like, I didn't think I would like ARMS at all. I was like, oh, it's like Wii Boxing with a Splatoon-style thing. But goddammit, Nintendo proves once again that they can take a, a, a mechanic, a set of mechanics, and make it like they Nintendoize it. And they just make it great because it's a super fun game. Uh, I had a lot of fun just messing with it and uh, learning how to play and kind of like getting into my opponent's heads and stuff. And if they end up sending me a copy for review, like I'm all over it. I'm super pumped for it. Absolutely. And just as a note, it's not the uh, the old Wii boxing where you just button mashed and threw your hands in the air real quick. Like There's actually, a lot of strategy. Yeah, yeah, because you can block, dodge, jump like not attack like yeah. feign an attack and that's to just the side the mechanics you also have the, the like character nuances and then all the different arms like you were talking about and there's just a lot of custom abilities so i'm excited to see what they do with um actual competitive matches for it yeah it'll <laughs> i'm sure there will just be this big crazy fight that's flashy or it'll be a stalemate like really like staring down your opponent from a virtual world oh and just kind of, kind of like fencing yeah like getting in their head like there's little air jabs, like not quite hitting each other, and then something crazy, and then back to it. Yeah. Or just insanity the whole time. I'll be excited to see how like top-tier players do it. Uh, there's got to be a tournament, actually, at E3, because really? Nintendo has just announced this thing that they're calling Nintendo Versus, which is weird because Nintendo has always kind of shied away from like the competitive nature of some of their games, especially in the Smash community. Um, there was recently a, a major tournament won by, I think it was Hungrybox. He's a very famous Smash player. And he gave a speech. It was like, listen, we're here. We're doing this. No matter what Nintendo says or think or how they will not support us, we're going to keep doing this. And it's going to get bigger and bigger every year. And it has. And now, finally, Nintendo announced, I think it was a day or two ago, that they are kind of doing this. Um, I don't know if it's like a website. There's a Twitter. It's called Nintendo Versus is what they're branding it as. So I think they might actually be trying to capture this like high-level play thing. Because they have been shown to be kind of interested in esports with uh, the Switch announcements with Splatoon 2, um, what they've kind of done before with some of their tournaments uh, like E3 and such. So I think we might actually be seeing a, a different Nintendo and not only the fact that the, the Switch is like a different market and there's kind of a different mindset to how they're putting games on it. But I think we're also going to see Nintendo kind of react to how people play their games a little better, which is great because maybe they'll leave Let's Players the fuck alone. Oh, what? Yeah, what? Stop <laughs> copywriting stuff, please. <laughs> yeah, no, like, Let's Play gets everybody else into things. I don't see why they would punk that kind of thing out. But for as them to get. As dumb as it sounds on paper, it created basically a job out of nothing. Really? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, well I guess more jobs, mm-hmm. but kind of taking away the fun that you get to have when you're not at a job. Yeah, uh, I talked to a lot of streamers about this because uh, a lot of my friends who are professional streamers they make a living at it they uh they stream eight nine ten hours a day and i always ask them like when does it get boring for you like how long does it take before you have to either switch games or try something different and a lot of them it it, like comes and goes if they're really passionate about the one type of game they're like known for and what their audience kind of watches for usually it doesn't burn out as quickly but um you'll see a lot of the uh the high level twitch streamers try to get out of their comfort box and try some different things like uh, my buddy mason that streams uh, mario maker and uh, kaizo and stuff he's been doing a lot of like music streams just to kind of like 
flex his creative muscles. He's already got a really loyal audience, so he can kind of afford to do that. Nah, that's that's a big thing, is once you build up your audience, that's when you can really start experimenting with stuff and get people to be like, yeah, you know, like I like what you're doing, not just the thing you're doing. Right. It, the, the, the awesome thing is once a streamer gets to that point where they're either right before they get um, the uh, the subscription button or right immediately in that like early phase, that's when you start having people come in and be more interested with the person and less about what they're doing. Yeah, and that's honestly why I subscribe to people. It's not because of what they're doing. It's because I enjoyed watching them stream stuff or talk with them, especially if yeah, they talk yeah, I, back to me in their stream. Like, I'm much more engrossed in what's going mm-hmm. on. Yeah, it's really engaging to be able to talk to somebody like a performer live in that sort of sense, especially if they're, like, super skilled. Uh, my favorite person to watch and discuss that sort of thing is Streiser86, who's, uh, I think his name's Mark. He lives up in Canada. But he does ridiculous speed runs on, like, um, especially Castlevania and Mega Man. And I just love asking him, like, oh, what are you doing here? Like, what's the strat here? What's going through your mind as you're doing this? And, like, we'll discuss things through the entire stream. Like, it's great. Now, speaking of streamers, tell me about this Friday 13th uh, nonsense that happened a couple weeks back, Zach. Friday the 13th was finally released on console. And everything has... So, Friday the 13th has been released. It's come out for everybody at the same time. Kickstart backers Mm -hmm. have been upset because the game wasn't given access to them first. Or they weren't given access to the game first, rather. For anybody who does kickstarting, you usually get that access, get the taste, get to play a little bit before anybody else because you supported it when it was nothing. Right. So they... That's a that's a standard like reward for you. Like I gave you my money to help you finish what you're doing so that I can play it and be engrossed in this thing because it's something I care, I'm passionate about, or I just really want. Um, and this timing is not just Friday the 13th. This is kind of a Kickstarter problem in general. I know when Mighty Number no. 9 came out, this was an issue. But not only that, the games come out, uh, the servers seem to be very broken for things. There's a lot of times that when you try to queue up, I think it's as a certain Jason, uh, it just, it'll freeze up and kick everybody out. Uh, you get into That's, the game uh, and it just boots everybody from the world again. Not only that, but have you seen some of the like character model glitches and stuff? And have you seen the like scared face models of the campers? I've not like, seen. It's, un- it's uncanny valley, like nightmare fuel, hilarious. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's scary in the wrong way. Like I don't, because Jason looks awesome, and some of the environments looks pretty good too. But like the graphical fidelity in the campers, especially, is like really poorly done. Yeah, I haven't seen them graphically. I've just seen that, I mean, A, Jason's overpowered, and that's how it should be, but that he's way, way overpowered in a lot of instances that I've seen, which fits There's in. There's some balance issues, I yeah. imagine. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's just starting. There's always balance issues. Uh, right. I've read a lot of cries for help about that. Uh, and, of course, just not being able to get into a game. Or you get into a game, start, and your world shuts down. And that's... But, yeah, this is crazy because, like... It was released early for streamers. Um, Press didn't get it when streamers got it. Uh, Kickstarter backers, especially, as you said, were pretty upset. But, like, so here's my question for you, Zach. What's the moral implications of releasing to even passing up Press, which normally gets it early? uh, Because I think the Kickstarter backers should definitely have it before even Press have it. Yeah. And uh, I think that was kind of a low blow for that studio. Like, that was a really dumb, late-in-the-game mistake, in my opinion. I 
totally agree with that opinion. Because to me, if you are taking this money on good faith, I mean, whether they did or didn't promise that they would get it first is one thing. But the fact that you didn't want to give them that early reward or some sort of take on it for supporting you in the beginning... That's just you taking. You're not giving anything back. It's that's like you saying, like, I want to take your money and give you this game. Whatever this game is, like, you're going to take it for whatever money you're going to give me. It definitely put a sour taste in the entire community that was behind this game. Like, the people who, even when the game was, like, super buggy and felt like an early access title, that community on, like, the Discord servers and stuff were very adamant about how this was a good game. You just kind of have to learn it, and it gets better over time the more you know about it. So those players were... They were all already invest. Why they didn't get it early, I have no idea. Like, who called the shot on this? I, I don't know, honestly. And uh, that is going to bring me to saying that Dead by Daylight, which is also releasing onto its console soon, might just completely take the cake on it because it's had a solid which is reception. Funny. Yeah, it's been out for, what, a year, six months? It's been out for a while on yeah. PC. And whenever it was announced, like, it was announced kind of on the tail end of this Kickstarter for Friday the 13th. So apparently they had very similar ideas at the time. Um, it's funny because that, that footage came out and I was like, wow, this looks like the Friday the 13th thing. That that kind of sucks. And then Dead by Daylight slowly became kind of what they were shooting for, but in a better fashion. They're already releasing, like, different styles of killers, so the asymmetric multiplayer is just a little more interesting. Uh, they've released a bunch of different updates here recently. I think they're putting out a new a new killer, and then uh, as you said, the console version comes out here soon. So you're going to have both of these situations—a really well-known franchise and just a really well-made game—kind of competing. And I'm kind of interested to see who comes out on top. Me too. I mean, Dead by Daylight is not 100% known by everybody, but when you say Friday the 13th, everybody knows horror genre. Jason Voorhees, guy with the hockey sound mask. design. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, it's a shame too, because Friday the 13th had like, everything was in place. It was being marketed in the best way. Adam Sessler, one of the guys who inspired me to be a journalist to begin with, was uh, a big part of the development and, well, I wouldn't say development, but like the marketing and the press uh, relations and all of that sort of thing. He was a, a major kind of focal point for this series, even in the Kickstarter videos, which is why I was so excited about it. I was like, wow, Adam Sessler thinks it's good. It's probably going to be great. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case, at least at the moment. I think it'll evolve to be better. But, um, like, not only that, but they had the same actor that did the the Jason Voorhees in many of the movies do the motion capture and, like, the voice acting and stuff. And then they had, like, the, a very – I think the same sound designer worked on uh, a bunch of the movies and also worked on this game. So, like, everything was there to make this excellent release and something fell apart somewhere. I agree and this makes me sad because this is as of right now to me I'm categorizing Friday the 13th under bad games made from movies. Yeah, and, as of now that's where it falls. And I don't I don't want that. I want to see good games made from movies. Even if the movie sucked, I want a good game to come from it because that you get more exploratory in the world if you have a game you know, with a movie, because a book's going to have everything right. you need, everything you would want. A movie's going to show you put to a novel form. Yeah, yeah. You know, the movie's going to have everything that you need to know, and could really want more of a taste of. But the game's going to let you explore all that on your own. Right. Because at the end of the day, video games prove to be one of the most immersive um, art mediums because it's multiple levels. It's sound design. It's art direction. It's uh, interactivity. 
So um, to have that sort of uh, interaction with like a movie franchise, something that you're already pretty into, is 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 just excellent if it's done right. Um, right. There's been examples here and there of movie games that were pretty good. Uh, interestingly, interesting enough, way forward, the people behind the Shantae series mm-hmm. and a bunch of really well-known uh, 3DS indie titles, and uh, they did the DuckTales remake as well. They're doing a a pixelized, like, 16-bit-ish style mummy game, like, which looks nothing like the movie, which is cool. I'm okay with that. I don't... That movie doesn't appeal to me much. But, um... It's weird because they kind of take the idea of the film and it looks like they're going to be doing kind of their own style on it. It looks like a Metroidvania is what the initial screenshot looks like. I so I don't know. Anything. You have two different ways to approach these sort of things. That sounds really cool, though. Uh, yeah. I don't know. I just I never heard anything about that. So I'm excited to hear more on it. Now, is this going to take place like Tom Cruise style mummy or are we talking Brendan Fraser style mummy? Uh, from what I've gathered, it's the the Tom Cruise style mummy. Like it's in working with as a promotion to the film. Because if you notice, that film's put a lot of money into marketing. It's there's commercials everywhere. It pops up every twenty minutes on my YouTube, and then of course, way forward apparently is doing a game about it. And like everybody in the comments when this was announced, I think yesterday, the day before on Twitter, uh, was like, "Wow, this looks really cool. Why the mummy though?" <laughs> yeah, um- I mean, obviously, it's gonna make him a big. A, a good check and they get to flex their muscles in like a license which is kind of fun i guess yeah yeah you know that's that's a great stepping stone for things but also on that i'm wondering if that has something to tie into with the universal monsterverse that's that's what i've heard i've heard that's the the kind of focus of this new movie yeah is uh like the start and the tip of it as well as dracula coming up or 2014 yeah they're uh, mm-hmm. There's going to be, what, a Dracula one, a, were- a Wolfman? I don't know. There's going to be a bunch of them. Yeah, and it's... And this is just me starting to ramble on a tangent, but the the MonsterVerse is something to look forward to, and I'm sure I'll talk more about later with Alex, is Universal's got the rights to all the horror movies. Or, mm-hmm. you know, at least... All the classics. Yeah, or at least most of them. So they're going to take those and put them into a type of universe. Like, you have the Marvel Universe, the EU Universe. So we're going to have... Universal creating this dark monster horror movie, maybe even actiony. You knowing it's Universal, it's it could go either way, but it could be exciting to see how all these old horror flicks tie together, or mm-hmm. how they do a standalone and told from a different approach. And that's a conversation for another day because I actually wanted to uh, I want to bring up at some point if the uh, the whole having a cinematic universe and tying films together. I wonder how long it is before that becomes stale. Because it's almost tropey at this point. It it really is. We're we're having lots and lots of re-releases of the same thing, and it's not to say that they're bad, but we're you're still uh, making money. <laughs> yeah, you're still making money. You're still entertaining people. You're doing your job, and it's going great. But how fresh can it be going forward? Yeah, um, in twenty years, will we look back on the Marvel Cinematic Universe and be like, you know what, that wasn't as good as we thought, or? Um, even the DC universe or whatever universe ends up happening between now and then, like, what? It, how is that going to stand as a literary uh, film piece years from now? That's always my like. That's my thought process, especially for games that like score really high, like Breath of the Wild. What are we going to think about Breath of the Wild in ten, fifteen years? I don't know. We'll, we'll find out. Right. And now, uh, moving on, we have Monster Hunter Double Cross, or as you see the title, Monster Hunter XX, coming to Switch in Japan. Uh, 
And I'm now, so pumped. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, me and Alex are both big, avid fans of the Monster Hunter series. I didn't get into it till later, but Monster Hunter has been something fantastic. It was a brand new world to me, and my old roommates finally hooked me into it with the advent of the 3DS. So, with Starting it, on Monster Hunter Ultimate 3. Yep. Oh, my God. Uh, we played so many hours of that, too. So, so many hours. And the thing is, is, you've probably put more hours into a, like, as far as actual counts... You've put more time into Monster Hunter probably about like three or four times than I have. Really? It's just I've been with the series for such a long time that like I feel like I'm, I'm more ingrained into the franchise and you're more ingrained into like the actual playing. Yes, I, I can say that. I'm getting into that franchise end of it though, like starting to really love all the development and the different stuff from all the all the different universes of it. Yeah, because I started, I picked it up as like a, a discount game on the PS2. I was in, um, I was in a major city down south, and I found it at a Kmart for like fifteen dollars. And I'm like, wow, this guy's got a big sword. I want to play that. And then I picked it up, <laughs> and you could like swing with the analog stick, so different movements on the right analog stick would do different attacks. And I thought that was really unique. And it was hard as shit. <laughs> like that game is ridiculously tough. Yeah. And I only got to, like, the Rathalos or something. Like, I never got farther than that. And I was using a Game Shark to get better items. <laughs> yeah, no, the game the game requires you to get good real quick. Yeah, like, it, it's all about knowing the, the, the animal and what um, how many frames are in an animation, so to speak, and where that hitbox is and how you can exploit that and what weapons uh, have different effects. And, I mean, it's it's a really complex game. And it's it. I think the difficulty is part of the reason why it became so huge, because the people who were learning the game and actually uh, becoming better and better and seeing success, that's a major triumph, and that's a really hard feeling to recreate. That's why Dark Souls is so popular. Yeah, no the the hard level of Dark Souls has sold me on so much of that franchise. Even if even while it was bad, like I don't consider two to be a great Dark Souls game, but I still play. It's still a good game. Yeah, I still played it. It was still hard. It was still great and challenging. So, yeah. Now, as of right now, which this could change within the next day or two, um, there's no word on whether Monster Hunter Double Cross on the Switch is coming to US. So we're not a hundred percent sure if it's going to. I imagine it will, but I yeah, I don't know. I'm not gonna believe. I'm not. I'm gonna try and to hold myself until Capcom officially says that it is. Because I might try to import it. Because <laughs> the Switch is uh, region free. You can play whatever on it. And uh-huh. you can download from the eShop if you just make a Japanese account. So, I mean, you can get it day one. Or you can import it through, like, PlayAsia or whatever. For those of us that have been playing Monster Hunter's Generation, that shouldn't be much of an issue. Because a lot of those item symbolisms and stuff, like, is already ingrained into us. But it would just make it really hard because there's a lot of text. Yeah, and uh, text in a foreign language is a is a learning curve to play if you don't understand that language. Now, you know what's even more exciting, Zach? Remember how um, Monster Hunter 3 was our jam because we could play 3DS and Wii U? Mm-hmm. Uh, that's back. You can play Switch and 3DS. There's a 3DS version. Oh, man. And, which it's been out for a while now, I think, actually. Um, it, it'll connect to the Switch version. You can play with other players. Um I don't know if you can do it online like that, but definitely locally you can play with other people on the Switch, 3DS, whatever system you have. And that's, that's awesome because that was my favorite feature. Yeah, same. That's that's why I did it. It was me, Tanner, one of the other people in our house, and then Travis setting, like all three of us on a 3DS, but Travis was on his Wii U in the house so we could 
use him as the main player and reference his screen while we were fighting yep. and also setting beside each other could flip screens to each other and kind of like coordinate much better but when the tactics they, got so much better yeah yeah they did and then with uh is it four that you could play online like, yeah four is when you could started playing online with the 3ds itself yes now i want to see that come to being crossover between switch and 3ds playing online like no restrictions we'll like i want to see that because we know the the way the switch is going to handle voice is asinine and stupid really um it it connects to a cell phone and you use the voice connector through that and there's like if you want to know how it works look up the splatoon headset because the map on how it connects into stuff is just dumb <laughs> but um I imagine a lot of people are going to be playing that game using something like Discord or Mumble or TeamSpeak or whatever, and that's exciting because I played um, Dauntless, which is kind of a Monster Hunter spiritual successor being made by a, a different studio on PC, and I played that with a headset, and there was four, four players. We each had our own headsets, and we were talking and communicating, and that kind of changed how I played Monster Hunter, and like I'm excited for that in an actual Monster Hunter game. Yes. Oh. That, yeah, that will be very, very important. Because right now you don't have a way to talk. And you've been doing it for years without being able right. to talk to your friends. Like, just kind of, like, waving. And yeah, being able to be like, basic. yeah, having that, like, talk being like, oh, shit, I'm in Area 10 and the monster's in Area 1 and he's healing and sleeping now. I gotta start all over. The coordination is gonna be so much better. And I think it's gonna actually, like, I think it's gonna bring the community together in ways we haven't seen yet. Because a lot of your Monster Hunter communities are based in, oh, I'm, let's go meet up here during the week or whatever and play some Monster Hunter. I know in Seattle that's a big thing with um, uh, Kelsey and Cody's store, the Pink Gorilla stores. They do a weekly or bi-weekly Monster Hunter meetup where they just get a bunch of people in the community and just play Monster Hunter with each other. I don't know. I'm just excited. I, like, I want more news on it. Like I want more news to come from E3. Like As soon as that press release comes out, I'm all over it. Oh, yeah. No. like I have to work when a lot of these press releases are happening, so I won't be able to see them live, but you bet, right. bet your ass that I will be staying up a little extra later, getting up a little extra earlier to watch these press releases, watch the entire conference from beginning to end to understand what's going on and see what I can be excited about and what is not going to be released for me yet. Yeah, keep an eye on MaroonersRock.com, shameless plug. <laughs> <laughs> Because we're going to have a lot of content. We've got three or four writers at the event right now. They're preparing for their various appointments. The EA thing starts in a couple hours. Um, but yeah, uh, Monster Hunter is crazy. Like It's crazy popular. It kind of saves systems. Because when, when it hit the PSP, the PSP was barely selling. And then Monster Hunter came out. And things like Final Fantasy started coming to the PSP. And... All of a sudden, the PSP was like an icon in Japan. It showed up in pop culture itself because it was just selling so well because of things like Monster Hunter. And the, it kind of saved the 3DS, too. It hit the 3DS, and then it became ridiculously popular in Japan. Yeah. and So uh, here we have the Nintendo Switch selling 3 million units in the middle of fucking March. What? How many are going to be out there when Monster Hunter comes out? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, that Monster Hunter crowd has probably not doubled down on those units yet, so they're going to add to that. Right. Those who don't have a Switch are going to pick up Monster Hunter on the 3DS or buy the Switch for Monster Hunter. Exactly. Especially the ones that love playing on their console but have to play on their portable to play their favorite game. They're going to be like, oh, yeah, console, duh. 
picking up this console. Now I get to play my favorite game and on a console how I enjoy with people who have the portable still. So I'm not abandoning my entire trope of people. No, and it's it's not like how we did it in Monster Hunter 3 where we had to have a blank uh, cartridge on the 3DS to transfer characters back and forth in case you were on the go and wanted to meet somebody else. You can just pick up the Switch and go. And yes. that's awesome. But So yeah, Monster Hunter kind of permeated into pop culture, not only in games these days. Like, it's reached to the point where there's comics mo- and a, a new movie, apparently. And, like, they're they're doing the whole Monster Hunter Stories game, which is coming out this summer, I think, or early or late this year, uh, to American Shores that's been out in Japan. There's arcade games. There's 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 merchandise like it's it's a big pop culture phenomenon now there's rumors that that character the monster hunter might be a playable character in uh marvel's capcom infinite really yeah that'll be exciting uh there there was a recently leaked quote-unquote list that included the monster hunter now who knows but that'd be great wouldn't it (laughs) it would but i'm i'm still partial from my my comic standpoint, if he's a character, then I want to see Roland from the Dark Tower be a character because Marvel has rights with Stephen King's character. Oh, that's a good idea. <laughs> right? And he'd be perfect. He has quasi-magic that's not really magic, but he's a fucking badass gunslinger who's right. been through some crazy shit. Uh, man, I, I have a lot of hopes for that movie, but uh, another uh, time. Yeah, another time for that. So, moving on to other games releasing this month. So we have ARMS, and when does that release, Alex? Uh, June 15th, maybe? June 15th, all right. So Give or take, June 16th. June 16th, okay. And we have uh, Final Fantasy fourteen Stormblood. Now. Big expansion. Um, it adds Samurais, I believe. So if you're really into the Final Fantasy fourteen, like the, the MMO universe and playing in that world, it's going to be something you have to pick up. Like there's a bunch of really cool stuff going on with it. Yeah, and if you watch the trailer, it's this gigantic fight, this big bloody fight of, like, you know, deceit, full-on power versus power, like, people trying to resist, people trading, like, turning into traitors to one another. Like, it looked awesome. Just the, what, five or six minutes of it engrossed yeah. me this morning in it. So those who are into the plot, which there apparently there is a pretty interesting plot streaming through uh, most of the major quests, um, there's some interesting developments going on. Yeah, this is like a a big evolving Final Fantasy game. So if you're into that kind of Final Fantasy world, like hop in here because this lets you have a whole different kind of customizability to (laughs) your player, yourself, and your story that you're playing through. So you still get this great story, but you're not necessarily one person. 14, even though it had a rough start, has kind of become a celebration of the franchise. And those who are playing it are, like, really into it. I can't get into my myself because of the whole subscription-based thing. I just I don't have the money for it. But if I was into MMOs, this would be the one I would play. Uh, most likely me too, actually. I kind of strayed away from it because I heard the beginning bombed and it didn't seem well. And then after I noticed they released, what was it, uh, their last release? Realm Reborn or the, uh, the other one? Realm Reborn. Heavensward. Heavensward. When I saw that, I was like, yeah. oh, you know, there's... There's more stuff going on here still. It's There's still dragoons! Dragoons are sweet! Oh, dragoons. I love them. <laughs> Kane is great. Uh, Legend of Dragoon is my favorite style of Dragoon, though. That's one of my favorite RPGs. Oh, man. I haven't but seen that. Also coming out this month is uh, the aforementioned Dead by Daylight on console, which is going to be pretty cool because PC communities kind of they, they have a flash pan. They kind of come and go. But um, those who start playing on the PC who are really into it will probably be playing for the next 30 years. <laughs> 
Like, is it going to pick up? Are we going to see more of that being played across the board? I don't know. We'll see. I, I would definitely like to. I mean, that style game, you know, like one side versus another play, it's still being done. Somebody's going to get dead. it right. Left 4 Dead, Left 4 Dead 2 is still being played on PC. And that's been, what, a decade oh, or that's, so? Oh, that's more of a, um, yeah, but Left 4 Dead kind of, like, you have 4v4 because you have four players playing different zombies that kind of rotate. Um, I think Evolve might have been one of the first, like, early AAA attempts at this style one versus everybody sort of situation. Yeah. And then it's kind of picked up through all these other different things. Somebody wants to make a Chucky game I saw recently. Oh, God. That's this style. Yeah, like, fuck that. No. <laughs> no, I really I, I really fucking hate dolls. Like, I thought I, I was going to be excited by watching, uh, what was it, The Great and Powerful Oz? And then we came to the porcelain town that was all, sh- like, shattered up, and I was fucking shitting my pants in this theater. There's something weird about that, right? Like, it, for me, it's dolls, statues, and puppets. Anything that tries to capture human form that doesn't quite get it, I don't like. Yeah. It's like, weird. Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> it's some kind of primal fear. Like, I don't understand. It's got something to do with creationism, and I don't know. But either way, it's weird. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. Uh, somebody's going to nail this asymmetric multiplayer thing, and all these experiments are good because eventually that's going to create a game that really stands out. Yep. It's kind of like how I feel with um, games like Destiny and The Division. I don't know what you call that yet. Dun- uh, loot-based shooter. But yeah. eventually somebody's going to nail it, and that's going to be awesome. Yes, and I loved The Division when it came out. Like, the power balance was really hard to do stuff with, but it was very fun. Uh, it was fresh. I-, yeah. I liked playing the beginning of it. It got old really quick, though. And yeah. I think eventually somebody's going to, like, really capture what makes that style of play um, interesting and addictive and put it into a world that's actually worthwhile. Yes. Moving on from this, we also have some other cool anime to check out. And Alex, you wrote down uh, Mobile Suit Gundam Iron Blood Orphans? I just finished it. It's, um, okay, so in the world of Iron Blooded Orphans, it's a very, it's a restricted kind of pulled back uh, Gundam world because we've seen Gundams with, like, crazy wings and lasers and world crashing magic with a G Gundam. Like we've seen Gundam in a lot of different forms, but this is the first time since, uh, I don't know, probably war in the pocket or 80th MS team back in the day that it felt grounded. Like this is a story about um, it's, it's got a lot of death and birth elements into it, which I'd like to discuss kind of in further later on. But um, like, for instance, there are no beam weapons except for in one instance, and when that happens, it's a big deal. Uh, they yeah. use a lot of bullets. You get, As we talked about last week, uh, you get to see them kind of repair the Gundams and uh, pull back to uh, refuel on ammo. It's a very, like, mechanically-based look into the Gundam series, and this is a story that's very mature. It's all about the relationships of the characters, the, the whole death-birth thing, um, groups. The politics in it is kind of... It, it, it's it's not nearly as in-depth as uh, some of the politics, and it's not as daunting or intimidating, I should say, as previous entries in the series. Uh, the politics is kind of interesting. It's got a lot of really good moments. Uh, character death happens frequently, and um, sometimes it's suddenly. So, uh, And it feels like every time a character dies, something happens to those affected by it. So it's a very mature story, and it's a very tragic story. Oh, and yeah. the gun, like the 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 mechanic design, is super interesting, and I just I was really blown away by this series. And I haven't like I've always loved Gundam, but I've not been engrossed by a series in a very long time. And this kind of pulled me back into it. Yeah, this was when I watched it, and I got to finish it. Like my heart hurt. <laughs> 
I was I was just drawn in by every episode. I was waiting for them to release that day so I could watch it before I did anything else. Oh, you watched it as it come out. I'm sorry. Yes, I did. <laughs> waiting must have been ridiculous. Oh, yes. Yes, it was terrible. Especially like when uh, getting closer to the end, getting those little cliffhangers for what was actually yeah. going to be happening was Oh, there's a particular episode I want to make a mention of that I don't want to spoil, but whenever um uh, a particular character is looking in a store and is immediately killed off at the end of the episode. Yeah. That Do you was, remember that? Yeah, it was it was I, I figured something was gonna happen somewhere, but I wasn't expecting that. I was completely like I, I, I don't know if I like checked out halfway through the episode or like I was anticipating a different sort of ending, but when that ending happened I was like, Oh shit like I literally that's one of the few times I've been surprised that much by anime. Yes, and that, the thing was, nobody knew for a minute except for those right there. Right, only those that small group of characters was affected by it. Right, and then like the influence slowly spread out. Mm-hmm. And that changed everything because people were going about stuff like it never happened, and then yeah. they got hit with the wall that it happened, but not just then. It happened before. It's weird. It's such a like, it's such a grounded take on the series. I don't know because like. It doesn't take place in the expanded timelines or anything, but if you think about it in a, a timeline of, like, technology progression, it's right after Mars has been colonized and terraformed so they can live on Mars. Um, and, um, like, there was a big war. Gundams are kind of a relic of the past. They're they're It's crazy. Definitely highly recommended by both of us. Go check it out. Yeah. Um, you'll get pulled into it. If you are a kind of crier at the emotional things that you watch, bring some tissues and sit down Be for prepared. Yeah, sit down for being completely taken over by this anime. It's it's interesting because once again, it's one of the few like if even if you're not super into Gundam, this is a good place to start. Yes, like it, it's completely outside of having to follow it from beginning to end. Now, this other series that you wanted to bring up, Zach, um, I've heard of, but I don't know anything about. Tell me about Seraph of the End. Okay, so Awari no Seraph or Seraph of the End is about a world in which the world's basically collapsed. This is a supernatural, kind of shonen, kind of not, but it follows the relationship of these two boys uh, from the beginning. I'm not going to spoil a whole ton of anything. Basically, the world fell due to an illness, and 90% of adults were wiped out. All that were left Mm. were children who were unaffected, and uh, some elderly folks that were not affected whatsoever... And there were some stray adults here and there, but not hardly anybody. So everybody in this series is extremely young, with the exception of the vampires, who are, you know, eight, nine hundred years plus. But it follows the journey of these two boys trying to escape their whole being held by vampires in the beginning. Uh, And it follows one escaping and one either dying or being recaptured. You end up seeing this world that's been completely taken over by... Like, completely ravaged by disease, rebuilding itself, vampires kind of holding this monstrous, like, I don't know, puppet strings over humanity. They don't control everybody, but they control what they control with utter dominance because of them being so much stronger than your average human. Uh, They call them progenitors, but basically, like, you know, saying, like, Dracula being the first vampire, as an example. And then the ones he turned right underneath of them would be second progenitors. The ones those turned directly beneath them, third progenitors. And that's how they have their higher... Higher in the 
Yeah, the hierarchy is built like the the purer the strain, the stronger they are, I imagine. Yes, ac- absolutely. And it's like uh, it goes so far to the point that like as a seventh progenitor, progenitor you can't really fight against a fifth. Like you almost mm. cannot fight against a sixth very well. You can, but the, the power gap It'd be rough. jumps that much just going up a generation. Wow. And you get to see some instances, especially further on, because uh, I've been reading the manga past the anime. You get a mm-hmm. you get a hint at some of them actually hiding what progenitor level they are, because there's several that oh. run around saying, you know, I'm like a fifteenth progenitor, and they're really like a sixth or seventh, because oh, they don't want people to know that they drank the blood of you know whatever progenitor was ahead of them secretly. But you get to see these these humans who live completely separate from the vampires. Some who are... Most of the vampires keep children. And they don't really touch why they keep children specifically. Mm-hmm. But uh, you get to see these, this power struggle. It's basically very militaristic at this point because the world's just in a war. Like, if the vampires come, they're just trying to kill them or run away and survive. But you see them using taboo powers. And that's where the uh, Seraph of the End for Angels of the End... Uh, they're tapping into what they call demonic powers and like making these type of demonic packs to use these weapons. Uh, and based on how oh, many okay. taboos they break, they get stronger, but their demon does too with the ability to take them completely over. So the strong- so you're getting the, um, the, like the central conflict and then also the internal conflict of making those decisions. Yeah. And it's as you go, cause some of them you have to knowingly break your taboo. Like it's not something that you would have just in- done, but you do it on purpose just to give that character does it on purpose to give themselves power. And then sometimes it is that character's absolute goal and mission to do something pure, but that's still breaking a taboo by, you know, various things from greed to lust to envy. And that's feeding their internal demon, making them stronger and stronger until one of them may or may not lose control. But later on... And you can get this on uh, on what? Crunchyroll Funimation? Where's this available at? Crunchyroll Funimation. It's available pretty much anywhere. It's really easy to get access to watch. Uh, and I recommend it. It's It's got a slightly slow start, but it sets up the story frame for the characters. And from the characters, it builds upward and outward with the rest of the story. Because... Oh, okay. Aside from what I mentioned, there are other monsters in the world that were released with the disease that nobody knows how or why. It's just everything hates humans, and they're trying hmm. to survive and get stronger. The previous series we talked about, Iron-Blooded Orphans, it's also on Crunchyroll and Funimation. Um, you can catch the first half in English, or you can watch the entire series in Japanese on Crunchyroll. So those are three different options for you. All right. Now, uh, what games have you been playing here recently, dude? Um, I'm still playing Pokemon Go. Not like I'm not out there head hunting every single day, but we have some upcoming events. We have the Fire and Ice event starting uh, June 13th, and it's supposed to be running through the 20th. So there'll be an influx of Fire and Ice Pokemon, as well as releasing into the summer uh, lots and lots of updates because we're coming up to the year anniversary of Pokemon Go. Especially mm-hmm. on the 20th, all the gyms are going to be shut down for a while. And it makes sense for the summertime to have these, like, major events because that's whenever, like, people want to get outside. They want to do these uh, globally, like, based things. Yeah. They don't have anything super global yet except for in the data mining. We found that it was actually released about – or, I mean, in the data mining that they have raid on gems. Something about Hungry Pokemon, which is – 
predicted to be a way to decay Pokemon off of gyms. Like, over time, your Resonators in Ingress would just kind of decay because they didn't have enough power. So your hmm. Pokemon will get more and more hungry the longer they're there or the more they fight. So you'd have to come back and feed them. So you couldn't just, them. like we do here, where there's nobody playing, put a really strong Pokemon and just feed off of the what it's making. Yes. It kind of uh, balances that. Yeah, it'll force you to continue to do many, many things, including Niantic wants to stop spoofers from being able to handle gems. So mm-hmm. we're going to hopefully see something about that. But aside from that... Yeah, because um, I know cheating is a big problem right now. Yeah, uh, it's honestly a big thing that's caused a lot of players to really just stray away from it because you could be in the middle of nowhere with that tactic of holding a gym for however long and just mm-hmm. you know safely tucking yourself away or like fighting off stuff in your town and then you have a spoofer come in and they're not even there they just burn through stuff with their computer at home and you've wasted all your time money resources and that's deflating. that's disheartening yeah I mean, that just, hurts yeah. yeah but other than that i've been playing smite mastering some more gods still uh Checking out the Daji God, they're introducing some changes for her in the upcoming patches for console because she's a little underpowered right now. And the mm. upcoming Trials of King Hercules look fantastic. You were telling me about that before the show. That sounds really interesting. It's like a roguelike style thing. Yeah, you pick, you go in with a party of three like you would in a joust mode, but you play through an ongoing level. So you start off just in the woods somewhere not on any of the normal smite maps whatsoever and you just start fighting jungle monsters and you keep moving keep moving keep moving uh most of them are just your typical jungle monster camp but as you keep going you see some with the bar like you know you have that that major one that drops the blue buff or you have like the big cyclops that drops a red buff and as you kill and them then there's you get a- challenges too like uh area to area like the special challenges yeah yeah because like uh there's no no healing, no buying items, nothing like that when you start. So as you do these little camps, you get gold, some sort of item maybe, and uh, you it drops a health mana pot, like the uh, the mix pot that you can pick up. Oh, okay, yeah. Uh, and you get to pick that up for everybody near you, and it works kind of like a small meditation. And as you keep going, that's how you keep yourself afloat. And then you get to main rooms where you get to fight like this giant boar that spawns boar camps while you're fighting it and throws you out of basically the fight while your friends are being swarmed by boars and it's still fighting and kicking the shit out of you and your buddies until you beat it and move on. There's one... It's interesting that Smite keep kind of... They they keep taking elements from different games. Like, they had the whole MMO raid-style gladiator tower a couple different times, and now they've got kind of this roguelike-inspired dungeon crawler sort of thing. So it's interesting to see how this game develops as, like, they keep adding new ideas to it, and it works. Yeah, uh, I thought their dabbling was a little silly at first. I loved the capture the flag, but mm-hmm. uh, I thought their uh, their attempt at Mario Kart was a little funny and not something I was really interested in when I wanted to sit down and play Smite. But see, I, this, didn't even, I didn't know about that. Yeah, they had a Smite Kart, and it was... It's it was really strange. <laughs> now the biggest uh, criticism I have for this is these are timed events, right? Like you can't go back now and play Smite Card, could you? Correct. It just ended completely on console, so it's gone and gone. Unless they open it back up later on due to reception, I don't see it being something that comes back. See that that's uh, that that irks me because I'm all about video game preservation and like keeping. Uh, an archived kind of form of these kind of game types because I would love to see them do what they do for Overwatch and open up the arcade section, which is just fun little things like that. 
Yeah, I I was gonna say the same about Rocket League. You know, they have very yeah. funny, silly modes that you can play, and it's just on a separate list. Yep, yep. Because so, you have a, a whole community of people that specifically play like hockey in Rocket League or basketball. <laughs> I just played hockey for the first time last week and was so confused because I didn't know about it. It's completely different. Like the way you played is completely different. Yep. Lots of now. What on the I've ground. been playing here recently is um. I've been working on our backlog of reviews on the Vita, and I always try to have something portable so I can kind of play it on my downtime at work because I have a, a split shift. So I get a couple hours, usually a day, to just kind of do whatever. And so I picked up uh, off our backlog list, Asterix War Phoenix Fiesta. This is based off the Asterix War manga and the uh, the light novel series. It's weird because it's like a 3D fighting game, kind of like the Naruto series of uh, a lot of the Naruto games, I guess I should say where you kind of just fight a character in a 3D arena and you run around and do special attacks and stuff. But it's a really, really watered-down version of that. There's, like, there's a basic attack, a heavy attack, a special attack, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> like, there's no ridiculous combos. There's no even way to, like, interrupt a combo. And this is all tied together in the story mode with, like, this really poorly done dating sim that where, like, the dates are actually just a set script and they rarely change. Like, there's maybe three, to, three or four different types of date per character, and you kind of have to just replay those over and over again to progress your uh, relationship. And it's repetitive, and it's boring, and I gave it a four. It's horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I don't recommend it. Phoenix Festa, or Fiesta, or, uh, I don't know, it sucks. In the other <laughs> anime space, I'm still grinding <laughs> away at Persona 5. It's amazing. The characters are really well written. Most of the dialogue is really well written. Even the fluff kind of stuff just kind of is well done i'm finally getting to the point where like i can go into the randomly generated dungeons and like grind and uh do the battles as much as i want to and i'm on like the third palace and the dungeons keep getting more interesting and the villains keep getting more interesting and more personal and i just love what they're doing with the, each of the characters and the presentation of course is off the charts the music is fantastic like it is probably one of the best examples of jrpg tropes done right and it's impressive. I, my only complaint about Persona 5 is I can't take it with me. If they put it on Switch or Vita, I would give it a 10 out of 10. But I think it's going to be slightly less because I just can't I, I can't take it with me. And it's one of those games that, like, you can sink a lot of time into it, but it's like you can do it in chunks. So it makes a lot of sense for it to be a portable title. Uh, other than that, I've been doing some Overwatch play with my buddy Ben and Eli, uh, my roommate Eli, and then my, my good friend Ben, who will pop in and play PC games with me every, every now and again. And that's just hilarious. Because uh, Ben is a very funny person. He he always says things, like, in moderation to the point that it's hilarious. And he, like, only curses when that's appropriate. <laughs> he always goes for maximum, uh, like, hilarity. And then, other than that, I just picked up... Because um, I, I haven't been buying games here recently because I've been... Uh, I'm preparing for the move to Alaska. But I did break down and buy Risk of Rain from Limited Run. It's one of my favorite roguelikes. Um, it was one of the first games I got on PC... And now I'm playing it on Vita, and I've completed a couple runs, and it's just, it's awesome. That game's great. I love Risk of Rain. Yes, I finally sat down and played a couple times. I lost several hours of my life to it, actually. I didn't realize yeah. how long I was playing, and I finally beat it once or twice as my, uh, myself. Uh, I've, I've gotten more characters than I did before, too. So I, I beat the game with uh, the Bandit and the Riot Shield guy, and I think the normal Gunner main character. But I'm interested to unlock the other characters and just keep kind of rolling with it. And then I'll go into multiplayer, I think, because there is that co-op multiplayer element as well. Yeah, I think I beat it with the the guy with the big mech hands. Oh, the either the... 
I think I beat it with him too, actually. I, I know who you're talking about. I can't remember his class name though. Yeah, he's the only one I've beat it with though. <laughs> Alright guys, episode 2 has come to a close. Be on the lookout for a much sooner to be released episode 3 in the next few days. And our upcoming recording of episode 4, which will be the E3 post-show and reactions. Music this week was Ultra Lounge by Kevin McLeod of Incomptech.com, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. We hope you're excited as we are. So long days and pleasant nights, my friends.